when I leave this life and God fits me for heaven, much of what I uh, fill my day with and even fill my concerns with uh, will be gone. And so uh, today I get the privilege of being able to uh, preach a passage that takes our eyes off the things of this life and places them in their proper perspective in the things that are to come. And hopefully this will be beneficial for all of us. I realize that um, sometimes we fill our days with being concerned about our health, uh, our finances, our schedule, what we need to be to. Uh, Sometimes we worry about uh, the list of things that we have to do. Sometimes we worry about elections and weather and fires and a bunch of things. And all these things are put in the proper perspective when we consider that this life is temporary uh, and that we are going to a different place to be uh, with Him forever. And so with that in mind, I'd ask that you'd stand in honor of God's Word. I'd like to read you Matthew chapter 22 starting at verse 23. God's Word says this, The same day Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now now there were seven brothers among us, The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you... No, neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that you would instruct our hearts today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the riches of your word and your spirit that teaches us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you consider the context of what we're talking about this morning, you look at the last couple of chapters, you realize that this is within the Passion Week. Uh, This is in the preparation to go to the cross for Jesus. He has had the triumphal entry into the city. He's gone into the temple. The response from the people was that to follow him, that they would desire to be his followers, to cheer for him. But the religious leaders, they hated what was going on. And this is part of their, um, Jesus rebuked them. This is part of their uh, being tired of it and really seeking out Jesus to discredit him and turn the crowd against him. Last week we looked at the Sad or the Pharisees and their disciples and partnering with the Herodians and coming to try to trap Jesus. 
uh, with a question. This morning we will see trap number two. Trap number two, and that starts in verse 23. As we look at this, it, it, it speaks of the Sadducees. And in verse 23, it, uh, Matthew tells us that the same day, the same day after the Pharisees and their disciples had brought the charge with the Herodians, uh, the same day, they, they failed. And it's kind of this, uh, they peeled away, they left. And now the Sadducees, it's their try to try to uh, trap Jesus. We find out one thing about the Sadducees in verse 23. Um, Matthew records it for us that that same day, the Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection. Uh, they did not believe in the resurrection. And for those of you who have taken those little Bible classes and courses, what would you say at a time like this? That's why they're sad, you see, is because they didn't believe in the resurrection. I had to say that because some of you would have came up to me afterwards and said, you forgot, you forgot. Um, they didn't believe that, they believed that this life was all there was, that there was no life after, that it was following God now, here and now, and that's all there was. Uh, there were some other peculiar things of their beliefs. Uh, one, in regards, they didn't believe in angels. And also uh, that they just focused on the, the books of Moses, those first five books. And we'll see all those things in our passage this morning. The Sadducees, a lot of times we, when we say the Sadducees, we quickly say the Pharisees as well and all those religious leaders. Um, you can't see it that way. It's not accurate to see the Sadducees as just a different group than the Pharisees. They were hated rivals. They were hated rivals. Uh, the Sadducees saw themselves as more uh, zealous for the things of God and more uh, in tune and more studied, more educated. And, and they looked upon the Pharisees and probably in this case, they loved it that the Pharisees didn't succeed in trapping Jesus because now that they were going to show their superiority to the Pharisees. They come as a different group, but as a, a similar attack to Jesus. And all, all this to say, there were a lot of people who hated Jesus for different reasons. Uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, the Herodians. You know, there were many who, who looked at Jesus as a threat. Um, and so they, they desired his demise. And even as this prepared him for the cross, this was some of the steps along the way. They come in verse 24, and you can see a similar pattern in the attack that we looked at last week, they refer to him as teacher, teacher. And, and what it is, it's not acknowledging that they are under him, but they were acknowledging what he thought he was. And really the idea of, if you are teacher, uh, now you can answer. And we're going to ask you a question and you can show us how smart you are. In verse uh, 24, uh, it says, Teacher, they said, Moses told us, that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. As you look at this, they connected this, this question. They set up this question with going, Moses said so. Uh, that would have been a big deal for them. Moses being the, uh, really the authority, the writer of those first five books. Moses told us this, and this is a general teaching uh, spoken of in Deuteronomy as well as in Genesis. Uh, 
loosely taken from them. And it's this idea that the one after them, the brother after them, if not married, would come and take the wife of his brother if, she di- if, if he died without having any offspring. Offspring was a huge deal to them. The idea of setting up the next generation, that the family line would continue on. So they, they set this up. This is Moses' teaching. And then they bring to him a question. In verse 25, it says, Now there were seven brothers um, uh, uh, among us. Okay, can you imagine that? A family with seven brothers. I think they made a movie out of it many years ago. Seven brides for seven brides. Great movie. It wouldn't go over very well today. It wouldn't go over very well. But anyways, something to watch if you need something good to watch. Seven brothers. You can imagine that. And so they set up this scenario of seven brothers. And the brother gets married. Um, But uh, the first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. And so you get this picture. A man marries. No offspring. The wife becomes the wife. uh, They get married to the brother. uh, The idea of the line going on. And that, that's simple enough. That's simple enough. We could get there. But what they do uh, is, it, to an absurd level, they bring a story of, because they're just making up the details, of one uh, man died and left his wife. But, but this happens as well. He says, the same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right down to the, the, to the seventh. Okay, so you get this picture of marriage die, marry again, die, marry again, die. The fourth brother goes, wait a minute here, wait a minute here. Uh, She's like the black widow, you know, you die afterwards, you know, you got to be nervous. No, Uh, it's just a story. It's a story. It goes through it. And the idea of all seven brothers being married uh, uh, to this one woman, and then she dies. And their question goes like this. In verse uh, 28, Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? All of them had been with her. All, all of them had been married, and, and that was their wife. Who would in the resurrection? A couple of things I want to point out before we get to the end of the question is they didn't believe in the resurrection. So, so it was just kind of this, hey, what do you think in your thinking, teacher, that really is not true anyways, if this scenario would happen based on the teaching of Moses, which you say you believe, in the resurrection, how would they be married? And maybe even the idea that uh, how would they continue that marriage and even the idea of producing offspring in heaven, who knows? where they were going with this. But they were setting up this absurd possibility for Jesus. And they're saying, teacher, how would you answer this? As you look at this, this morning, uh, you realize this is complicated and absurd. It, it, it happens all the time. People say, well, I don't believe in God because he couldn't do this. And what about this? And how does all this work out? Um, they assume some things here that, that I want to point out. Uh, that they assume that the bodily resurrection would be similar to whatever was down here. Saying this, that uh, marriage being this important thing down here, uh, important 
for intimacy, important for this exclusive relationship, of course, how would that look? What would that look like in heaven? Um, and once again, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so what does it matter? But they were coming as to trap Jesus with, with his words. This is their question. This is their trap. Trap number two, if you'd look at it that way. In verse 39, we see Jesus' silencing answer. Uh, they had a difficult question or a trapping question. He brings their uh, answer that would silence them. And it goes like this. As this passage is a lot like others where people ask Jesus a question and he rarely says, well, I, I don't know if we have an example of where he said yes, no. Uh, it was always more questions, bringing in other ideas, talking about motives that they didn't realize they even had and bringing in other things and in this case it's very similar to that Jesus replies to them by saying this in verse uh, 29 you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God as you look at that he points out two things before he really gets to that he says first of all you don't know the scriptures and secondly, you don't know the power of God. Let's handle the first one. This would have floored the Sadducees. This, this would have like, uh, you know, have you ever been around someone who's extremely educated? And, and you, you told them, like, if you're with one of the engineers uh, of our church and you're talking to them and, and you say, don't you understand math? <laughs> they just, you know, the hair goes up with, they're holding their calculator and they're going, what? You know, I can do things on this calculator you can only dream of. Uh, but, but you understand what kind of attack that would have been that Jesus said. Don't, don't you understand the scriptures? And, and I want to I put these things together. It might be just a subtle point, but I think it's very important for us this morning. Uh, Jesus knew that they knew things about the scripture. In fact, the very point that they brought out was Moses said something. And it's not like this was one of the big teachings of the, the five, first five books of the, this whole deal of, you know, if, if someone dies without any offspring, you know, they go, the brother, like, that wasn't one of the big teachings that uh, went over and over. It's it kind of a very fine point. It was, it was, it was something that wasn't uh, somewhat obscure. So they knew the scriptures. They knew them, but they didn't know them. As they came to the scripture, as maybe some of us even come to the scripture, they came to be smart. They came to uh, do well on the trivia games. Uh, they, they came to, to look educated and smart in conversation so that they would know more and so that they could be above and so that they could look right on everything. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you don't know the scriptures. I want to tell you, the scripture isn't made to look us, make us look smart. The scripture is, is meant to draw us into relationship with him. That we might know him. That we might know uh, what he likes and what he doesn't like. How he acts and how he, uh, the things that he doesn't do. It's, it's 
it's for us that we would understand the plan of God, that we would humbly hold his hand and say, take me where you want me to go. Do with me what you want to do with me. It, it, it brings about this humble submission as we go to the scriptures that should change the way we live and think. And Jesus said, you don't know the scriptures. You got a bunch of answers. You got a bunch of data. But you don't know the scriptures. The second thing he points out is you don't know the power of God. You don't know the power of God. See, the Sadducees, what, what they saw, uh, the idea, they, everything that they saw, they could understand in their mind. Uh, it all fit into their framework. But there are things especially when it comes to the resurrection, how am I going to get from here to there? Uh, is there a bus you take? Is there a plane you fly? Is there a helicopter? How do I get from this life to the next? What's the answer? Power of God. And even as we look at things down here, uh, sometimes we look at situations in our life and we say, I don't see how it can happen. Maybe there's health issues. Maybe there's relationship issues. And you go, can't happen. It won't happen. It's just a mess. It's, it's done. It's over with. Power of God. The mess that we have made, the, the situation we've got ourselves into, I want to tell you, with the power of God, it can change. Some of us look at um, uh, our kids, uh, situation of our kids and some of our kids are a pain present company excluded present company excluded no and and they break our hearts and and some of you say how i I, i'm feeling like i should give up i feel like it's over i want to tell you power of god power of god can bring about change that would bring about repentance even to the stubbornness of and so as, as he looked upon the, the Sadducees and he says, you don't know two things. You don't know the scripture and you don't understand the power of God. Power of God that can change things that you see right now to things that you can't imagine in the future. Maybe that's us this morning. We look at the scripture. We know a lot of information about it. But do we know the scriptures? Is it the thing that instructs our life? Do we, uh, do we dare to take a step without knowing that it's from God? Is it the thing that's shaping our hearts? Is, the thing, is it the thing that's, that's checking our pride? Is it the thing that, that we can't live without, we thirst for? And do we trust and as we look out into the future, we go, the power of God is at work in my and as I look at the difficulties ahead, I trust that God can change anything He wants to. And if He doesn't, His power will be enough for me as I seek to go through difficult times and difficult waters. He pointed that th these two things, that they didn't know the Scripture and they didn't know his, the power of God, these two things led the Sadducees away into error. It made them misunderstand, uh, really, all of the Scripture. It made them uh, come in a haughty way before Jesus. You, you know, you picture this. 
And, and the reality is the, the Sadducees should have came to Jesus, right? But they should have said, could you talk to us? Well, what do you want to know about? Oh, whatever you think I should know about. Whatever you want, Jesus, just teach me whatever you think I need because there's so much that I need. I don't even know what I don't know. But they came questioning Jesus. And in their pride, uh, they thought that they were the ones to humble him and trap him in his words. Jesus replied to them, their errors came from them not knowing the scriptures and them not knowing the power of God. In verse 30, Jesus answers the question, he says, as at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. As I look at that, I find that funny. Not because of the passage, but because yesterday was my 23rd anniversary. Um, and I told Rebecca, I said, that's pretty funny that I'm preaching on that there's no marriage in heaven. And, you know, I'm studying and thinking and stuff like that. Uh, I was just hoping she wasn't saying, oh, good, it's only a little while longer. Thanks, babe. Um, this is hard for us to get our heads around, especially if you have a marriage that you, you love and you realize that God's blessed you through your marriage and, and you realize the value of partnership. And in fact, if you're older, there's a sense of security there that you didn't really get and, and figure out in the early days where as things get more difficult, you, you find yourself partnering more. Where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? I don't know. Where are my glasses? Find my glasses and then I'll help you find yours. Uh, and, and, and you partner more. You're doing things as a team. You, that's, that's the design. And it's the strength of today, right? It's the idea that... Uh, it's not good for man to be alone. This is from Genesis. And this was God's design in marriage. And so as we look at this, we go, how can this be? In heaven, in the afterlife, in the time of the resurrection, you're saying there's not going to be marriage? Jesus says, yeah. I think you can deduce some things that uh, the things that marriage was meant to solve, uh, the things that marriage was meant to solve are not problems of heaven. Marriage is the great invention of God. But it's only for this life. Uh, we are made and desirous of intimacy. That's for marriage. We understand the plan of God is to carry on the generations. That comes out of the marriage bond. We realize that it does cure loneliness to have a, someone to be with and in that bonds of marriage, that, that promised relationship, and that we would have this specific partnership as we seek to do difficult things, go through difficult times here down on this earth. This is what marriage is for. And it's also exclusive. It's not the idea that uh, you're married to one person and then, uh, or, you know, a tag... I'm going to somebody else, next up type thing. It's exclusive and, and permanent. It's this limited relationship. As we consider this, he connects this with being like the angels, like the angels who are not married, who are not given in marriage. I want to be careful. I want to point out something, the whole angel thing. Now, 
I realized that when someone dies, uh, we have a fascination with angels. Some of you have figurines and stuff like that, little figurines. Uh, I want to tell you, when someone passes away, uh, they don't get wings. They don't become an angel. They, the, the babies don't, uh, aren't angels uh, when they pass away, and people don't get their wings. It's good for movies, but that's not what the Scripture teaches. In fact, it's this idea, he's pointing out one specific thing here, that they are like angels in that they are not married. That they are uh, exclusive to the Lord and they are together in this perfect relationship with him. As I look at this this morning, um, this passage ends, this teaching of Jesus ends, this answer to their question ends with something amazing. And I, I want to make sure that we get it this morning. Jesus says that uh, marriage isn't for heaven. M- marriage isn't for the days of the resurrection. As you're fit for heaven, it won't be fit for marriage. It won't be for having more children. You say, well, then what will it be for? What, what is this new thing? What is this new relationship that we have? What is different about our time in the resurrection? Well, it's not really as much different as it is a continuation a greater continuation, a, a greater chapter. Jesus says this uh, in verse 31, And as for the resurrection from the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I love that. That's another, you probably didn't read this because it's in the scripture. You, you probably don't understand this because you you're, not, you're not learned in what the things of God. And then he says this, I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He goes back to the writings of Moses and really takes the history. Uh, and Abraham, you know, the father, father Abraham, the first, and this idea that they will look to Abraham. And Moses talks about Abraham. And, Whoa, what an amazing thing. And, and he quotes from Exodus that the God of Abraham. And he's like, yes, that's the God of Abraham. And then he goes in a, a lineage and a generations. And, and the God of Isaac, and he, yes, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac. And the God of Jacob, yes, I get it. And he points out something super important for us to get. He says, I, this is all present tense. This is all present tense. He doesn't say, way back when, in the writings of old, It used to say, God used to refer when they were there that I was their God. Let me say it this way. He's highlighting that the relationship with God, with Abraham, was not a temporary one. He doesn't say, uh, and God told me, God said, I used to be the God of Abraham when he was alive, but he's dead now, and so we're no longer in that relationship. That used to be true. I used to be in relationship with Isaac, but he's dead now. So that's no longer true. I used to be in relationship with Jacob, but he's dead now, so that's over. Do you get it? That, that Jesus, as he's pointing this out, he says, look at this relationship that I have with you. Look at the, the love the Father has for you in that 
He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That this is not something in the past, but this is present now. And then he says this. As you look down at the scripture, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. That this relationship that God had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it went on past the grave for them. And I look at this and I go, what an encouragement in the midst of the Sadducees being lost in their their own ideas, lost in their own interpretations, lost in their own agendas. We don't believe, we see this as all there is. This life is all there is. Jesus says, no, it's not. In fact, a relationship down here with God will go into eternity and be true forever. At this, uh, I would like to say that the Sadducees, I don't know if they said this or something like this, it's not recorded, foiled again. And it says this of the crowds in verse 33, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Their minds were blown. It's easy to focus on the stuff down here. It's easy to see the things that we can touch and feel like we can control. But when it comes to life after this life, uh, it blew their minds. The gift that God hands out and extends to them uh, in relationship with the Father through the Son. As we look at this passage, I want to end uh, by just saying this. There are three... I have three corrections for your heart and mind this morning. Three things that we should adjust. And as we think about coming to the Scripture, that's what we should always think about. It's not just, you know, I hope the pastor, you know, when he gets to those three points, I know he's done pretty quick. I can expect maybe three, four more minutes. But, but as we come to the Scripture, you want to say, what does God want me to change? How does he want to change me? How does he want to reformulate my heart and mind? I have three for you this morning. You might have uh, three more different ones. I don't know. But the first one goes like this. That life should be lived in light of the resurrection. Life should be lived in light of the resurrection. As we look to the future, the future is uncertain. Like, you know, I, I, I get discouraged. Sometimes I get heavy hearted and uh, my boys get the brunt of it. We have to have serious talks at home about the future and uh, where this world is going. And I turn into the old guy before their very eyes, you know. Um, I want to tell you that life should be lived in light of the resurrection. As we take steps in life, as we make decisions, we should ask the question, what about the resurrection? What about the time where I'm leaving this life and going to be fit for heaven to be with the Lord forever? How does all this fit together? Life should be lived in light of the resurrection. Secondly, uh, the scripture and the power of God should be factored into everything. Into everything. As you uh, face life this week, the idea that the scripture that you humbly come before the Word of God and that somehow is instructing and shaping the the steps you take and the things you do. This is the way life is meant to be lived. And if it's not, if you use the Scripture in some other way, you'll end up like the Sadducees, full of themselves with the wrong answer. The Scripture, the power of God. The power power of God. As we look 
at situations out in the future, it's easy to become discouraged, isn't it? It's easy to see a mess, both ones that we've created and being part of our world that uh, is creating some of their own, right? And you say, what a mess. I want to tell you, don't forget the power of God. Don't forget the power of God. I think of uh, the situations of life. The first service, and I want to tell you that I won't look at any of you right now, okay? As I'm preaching, I've done this enough that I, I, I can read on your faces, you know. And, and I know that people struggle. I know some of you struggle with health issues this morning. At first service, I, I, I saw some folks that are struggling with big things. And they, don't for, in your struggle, in your struggle, don't forget the power of God. That He can change everything in your life according to His plan. And He can also give you enough power to get through it no matter what your health problems are some of you struggle in your marriage Uh, some of you are the struggle in your marriage and some of you think you're uh, the other person is the struggle in your marriage and really you're the struggle in the marriage and you say i can't change and they won't change so what can i do how how can we make it i want to say the power of god He's the one that can bring about repentance and change in your life. Power of God. And so I, I encourage you, I want to say this, the scripture and the power of God should be factored into everything. As you think towards the future, you say, I will not walk in things that I can see, but I will trust in the word of God and I will factor in the power of God to change or to be enough for me to take the steps ahead. Lastly, because of the gospel, remember that we have an eternal relationship with God. An eternal relationship with God. Um, As you look at this, you say, I am so tired. I am so tired. Tired of my health problems. I'm tired of my marriage problems. Tired of my kids. Tired of my job. Tired of not having enough money. I'm tired of politics. I don't know. Fill in the blank. Whatever you're tired about. And just know this. That because of the gospel, that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, that he's brought us into relationship with the Father through himself, through his his substitutionary death for us. He's brought us into relationship. If you trusted in him, you are now in a relationship with him today. So whatever's going on down here, Uh, He's got you. He's with you. But know this. That this gospel is not one that is for this life only. It's eternal life. And so as it says, he's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He's also the God of Kevin. And that doesn't stop at the end of Kevin's life. It goes on forever. Because he's the God of the the living, not the dead. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I ask that you would cause this message to be an encouragement to our souls today and to help ride our ship. Uh, God, we drift off into many different things. We consider the temporary as eternal and the eternal as uh, 
not meant for today to even consider. And so I ask that you would mark our hearts with your word, that you would cause us to think as you think and not just to agree with you, but to embrace and to humbly walk with you. God, do your work in your church today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed.